Investable Universe is about thematic topics in real assets investing. This is what we mean by the global market of things, real estate, infrastructure, land, energy, and other commodities that have historically been viewed as boring old income investments. But take a look at the shifts underway in these asset classes, from industry disruptors to new investors to emerging markets to geopolitics, and you'll find these assets are anything but dull. We'll talk about private equity, venture capital, corporate VC, sovereign wealth funds, listed markets, crazy startups, some old guard investment firms, some maverick entrepreneurs, and some paradigm-changing technologies. One thing is certain, no corner of the global market of things will be left untouched by the changes happening right now, and that's what we'll be talking about on this podcast. It's all part of our expanding investable universe, and maybe it'll be part of yours too. ESG, sustainability, green bonds. If you follow thematic investment trends, you no doubt know these buzzwords, and you may know that they are mainstays of impact investing, particularly across real assets like infrastructure, energy, and real estate. But have you heard about natural capital? This summer, the global asset management arm of Britain's HSBC, the world's sixth largest bank by AUM, announced a new joint venture, HSBC Pollination Climate Asset Management. The goal is that this will become a billion-dollar platform. It's due to launch in mid-2021, in which HSBC will be a cornerstone investor. It is being touted as the world's largest manager of natural capital, which is to say it's a family of funds providing exposure to multiple global investment themes in the area of natural capital in the emerging and developed markets. So for this week's podcast, we're going to dig deeper into natural capital, really get our nails dirty here, and also find out more about the firm that HSBC is partnering with to really drive this initiative through. That firm is Pollination Group. They've been around since late 2019, providing climate impact advisory and consulting services to various global entities. That would include governments, public and private funds, and companies, as well as venture capital to innovators across the sustainable investing spectrum. With me this week is Pollination Partner John Morton. He is former White House Senior Director for Energy and Climate Change at the National Security Council in the Obama White House, an Obama appointee, and a recognized expert in climate finance with more than 25 years of experience in emerging markets, investment finance, and policy issues. And founding partner Martine Wilder, an acknowledged global leader in climate law and sustainable finance, who led Baker and McKenzie's global climate law and finance for 20 years. He's currently chair of WWF in Australia, and a former founding director of the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, truly a pioneer in sustainable investing decades on. John Morton and Martin Wilder of Pollination Group, thank you for joining Investable Universe this week. Good to be with you, Rebecca. Great. So first, let's explain a little what natural capital means, because it sounds a little like a stepwise change or an evolution from just general ESG investing and things like green bonds or you know sustainable ETFs. Or something. Is there a fundamental difference in approach? Sure. Rebecca, why don't, first of all, let me say thank you for having us today. It's a real pleasure to be here today and talk about this, um, both this exciting partnership with HSBC and also the, the sector uh, of focus, which as you, as you rightly, rightly uh, let in with is, is natural capital. Um, I think the best way to think about natural capital is natural capital are the assets that, uh, that, that nature provides. So think of it as simple as that, natural capital. If, if you think about the world, of, uh, the world around us, whether it's forests, whether it's lands, whether it's air, water, et cetera, um, there are assets um, and they are natural assets and natural capital are the value that those assets have and store. And investing in nature and investing in natural capital has to be a fundamental way that we think about uh, the future of not just protecting uh, nature and its assets, but using those assets in a much more efficient 
and effective way. And this partnership recognizes that nature is far more than something that we use. It's something that we need to invest in, protect, and can be done profitably. And that's the exciting thing about this partnership. Not only do we think we will be, and are we confident we will be protecting nature, but we'll, we're confident that we'll be creating and helping mature a new asset class to allow investments that, uh, that build on our need to preserve and protect our forests, our water, our air, uh, and, our, and, our, and our soil all around us. So it's a form of ESG, of course, uh, of, of environmental uh, of, uh, investment, but it is, a, it is a, uh, a sub-segment of it, if you will. And it's an, a very critical uh, sub-segment that to date has been a bit overlooked, we think. Mm-hmm. So then uh, following on from that, how is a natural capital portfolio managed? What is the portfolio approach? How long do you hold things? Are you entering and exiting investments in a particular style? What's the exit plan for an asset in a natural capital portfolio? Um, yes, yeah, so, so, so thanks, Rebecca. So in, a ter- in terms of how we, we invest, um, these are intended to be, first of all, large-scale funds. We believe that in order to make a difference, it has to be done at scale. Secondly, the idea is to have long-term um, is to hold assets for the long term, like infrastructure assets, where we basically acquire those assets, we, we work with them, we hold them, and we, we build the natural capital value of those assets. Um, in terms of for how long we'll hold them, again, it's a little bit like infrastructure, 10, 15 years, but what's been interesting is, you know, different investors have a different mindset around this. And one of the things, the interesting discussions we have had with some investors is, you know, maybe there's a, a case that these assets are held even longer for the long-term benefit of, of, of what these assets can do. So I think, you know, um, the most important point here is that, you know, we are investing at a global level at scale in assets around around the world, which we will not just, it's not like a private equity investment where we quickly go in and go out. This is about making a real difference and, and increasing the real value over time. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you benchmark performance or, or a, a measure the impact of your investments in this space? Since it is, you know, it's an emerging area, right? Yeah, so absolutely. And I think, you know, it's an emerging area, but there's also technologies that exist today that didn't exist even five years ago that help you, help us, uh, help the field measure and, uh, and, and record and, and monitor uh, the improvement of efficiencies in, in the management of natural resources. So we are benefiting from the, from the development of technologies literally, uh, you know, every, every year as satellite technologies get better, as, as drone technologies get better, to oversee and be able to monitor larger and larger parcels of, of land, look at the changes in those, in those lands over time, and, and can tell us in real time how our investments are performing. Think about a forestry asset um, that before would have been almost impossible to see over on a real-time basis, how it's, how it's growing, how it's maturing, et cetera. Um, think about an, an agricultural investment, a large agricultural investment uh, where we're uh, um, innovating with new regenerative uh, soil uh, and regenerative farming techniques. We're able to see on a real-time basis how that, how that investment is performing where we couldn't have before. And one of the things we're excited about in this vehicle is that we're bringing together some of the best, those best technologies and some of the newest methodologies under this joint venture with HSBC um, that we think will give this fund uh, a real, frankly, comparative advantage um, as we begin to, to roll out this methodology and something that could be a benchmark for future natural capital investors and investments made by other, uh, other funds over time. 
So where are you sourcing these assets? I mean, are you buying from other sort of institutional holders and then just sort of going in and transforming them through, or, you know, through a better stewardship? I mean, how does that, how does that work? Sure, I'm sure, John, I can answer that. So, so what we've been doing over the last couple of months is really looking at, at the global pipeline. So the interesting thing is that um, Pollination has had a long history of playing in the natural capital space and helping clients with investments in this area. Um, as part of the process, we've looked at investments around the world, and we think it's a combination of two things. One, it's a combination of both investing in existing investments that exist and require additional capital, but also um, it's also assisting in existing investments that perhaps are not sustainable but can become sustainable, and there's an incredible opportunity to do that and flip it. And then finally, it's also about working with people to create new investments. So we see a lot of opportunity to create new natural capital investments and apply the techniques and thinking that we have in order to do that. Great. So there are investment themes within within your natural capital space. You do have some defined sub-themes. Um, can you talk a little bit about those and why those in particular? Well, I think we've, we've, we've mentioned some of them already. I think the, the core sectors will be uh, regenerative agriculture, uh, water or aquaculture, uh, and, and forestry. Um, I think those represent what are both the most pressing need from a, from a climate and conservation perspective um, and represent the most uh, achievable uh, and the most uh, strategic investment opportunities um, for long-term investors, the types of investors that Martin mentioned, um, you know, are looking to enter this, this space. So I think those will be the three key areas uh, of this first vehicle. Um, but we recognize that natural capital and what is investable in natural capital is evolving. And that which was not financeable, you know, five years ago is becoming financeable today. And five years from now, we're going to see additional sectors where we believe institutional investors will want to deploy capital. Biodiversity is a good example of that. Uh, other forms of, uh, of, of conservation as well. So we think this is an evolving field that will evolve during the course of this partnership with HSBC. You mentioned in your introduction just, just one figure, and I want to I come back to it. You mentioned this was kind of a, a $1 billion partnership. This is actually a much larger partnership. Um, this is a platform where we announced the intention to deploy and raise uh, up to $6 billion over time. The first fund will be an up to $1 billion vehicle fo focused on natural capital, but we expect that. Um, you know, subsequent funds uh, and subsequent funds underneath this platform will grow over time, you know, relatively quickly. Wow. And, how, and what kind of time frame are you, are you looking at? If you could just sort of give a ballpark estimate. Well, publicly, what we've said is that, you know, that first fund, we, we hope to be in the market with that next fund next year. Uh, and then quickly on the heels of that, uh, follow it up with a, with a carbon fund. Um, and, uh, and then that leaves some additional capital that we're committing to raise. Um, and uh, we expect, you know, these will all follow in relatively short order. So are these strictly private market investments or direct investments? Are there any plans to invest in, in listed holdings, anything like a forestry REIT or something like that that is, you know, more sort of democratically available, maybe carries some equity risk that you might not want to take on, but do you, any plans to have to move into something more public? I think our, 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 our going in assumption is that this is going to be largely private market transactions where we feel we, for, for reasons Martin said earlier, we feel we have a comparative advantage, uh, a competitive advantage through our networks and connections and, and through the HSBC partnership. So let's talk a little about that HSBC partnership. Can you, where did this come from? How long has this been in the making? And where do you think, uh, it, it, obviously there's some real um, synergies here. Maybe you can just, from your perspective, explain where those came from and why you guys are a good fit. 
Sure. So I think one of the most important things for us in setting up pollination is that given the state of the challenges the world faces, to do anything at scale, partnerships are really important. And the more that we can bring people together to, to do solutions, I think it's a lot better to, to leverage those relationships. So in the case of HSBC, they are one of the world's biggest um, global asset managers. They're also one of the world's uh, most sustainable banks. They've got a, a very deep history around the world. Um, and pollination has, as we've talked about, a deep history in the natural capital space. And I think at the start, it's, it's an interesting story because really at the start of COVID, we were discussing with HSBC through historical relationships between people, you know, where could we possibly go? What could be done? And very quickly, the, the joint um, agreement was that the, perhaps the most important area was natural capital. And there's a lot of work being done on renewables and the market's fairly saturated. Um, but natural capital is an asset class, as John previously said, which is very underdeveloped. So we saw this as an opportunity to really try to make a fundamental difference to the global investment landscape by um, creating this new asset class, natural capital. I think what, what is really, um, I, I guess, interesting about the, tra about the partnership is that we really came together at the start of COVID and we worked very, very hard together with a real commitment on both sides to get this done. And you know, we've come out you know, four months later with a partnership and, and a lot of work has gone into that. But I think in the ordinary course, that probably would not have been possible. The fact that everybody was, I guess, in lockdown, so to speak, and was available, but also highly committed, meant that we were able to drive this very hard and everyone's, you know, really driven to make sure this is a great success. Well, you know, one hears talk of, of a global reset, right, of, of COVID providing an opportunity to do things differently, that when things get back to normal, it's not going to be back to normal. And so maybe you have, you know, an opportunity here to really make your impact here. Like, how about let's let's talk natural capital now, right? I mean, <laughs> no, I think, that's, I think that's exactly right. And also I think, you know, um, when, when we've been, been stuck at home in lockdown and people are going for walks in their natural environment, people, there's a greater appreciation of how important the world is. And without a healthy without a healthy world, we do not have a healthy economy. I think one of the things, one of the things just to, just to quickly add there is that, and, and this, is, this is so critical, you know, I think for the last five or 10 years, the investor community has been pretty focused, successfully so, um, on um, things like deploying large amounts of renewable energy, not just in developed countries, but in developing countries around the world. We've seen an explosion in renewable energy deployment, um, and that's a fantastic thing. Um, but all the studies, all the statistics, all the numbers, all the modeling shows us that we cannot get anywhere close to our shared climate objectives and, and um, really limiting the worst impacts of climate change unless we radically change the way that we are investing into nature. And I think we're seeing a lot of the consequences of what happens when we don't invest into nature day by day. Uh, one doesn't have to look very hard in our own country to see what happens when you kind of underinvest in our, our natural resources. And so I think that's, that's adding urgency and real immediacy to this, um, to this sector as well. Well, some of the investment uh, professionals that I've, that I've spoken here and there remotely during this uh, COVID period have talked about the appetite for ESG or sustainable uh, investing assets in the Asia Pacific region. And that there is you know, some real interest, you know, very pronounced investor interest uh, in that approach in those markets. Is your focus on the Asia market particularly or even exclusively? Uh, certainly not particularly nor exclusively, but it certainly does include Asia as a, as a, as a huge market, as a demographic um, uh, interest, as, as an area of unique 
natural resources, whether it's, you know, the Indonesian forests uh, or the, you know, or the oceans of, of that region, um, the, there's, there's wonderful natural resources and investment potential in the Asia Pacific region. But I wouldn't say that it's the, uh, the, the centerpiece or, or, of, our, of our investment thesis. We're really a global fund and platform. Have you, have you encountered any uh, resistance or interest that you could characterize in, in non-Asia markets? Do you oh, for sure. Yeah, strong. Yeah, so I, I think I can touch it. So one of the things that we did as part of, you know, developing the product is, is some informal soft soundings, talking to people about the concept. And it's been incredibly positive. And the other thing that's been interesting is that after we announced the partnership, the, the number of sort of potential investors and people with projects and, and, and interest from people actually who also would like to come work for us has been quite extraordinary and um, far more than we actually anticipated. So I think we have had an incredibly positive response and even the, the commentary around, um, around the media that you see yeah. um, articles has been very positive. So, yeah, I think, as you said before, you know, people are ready for this. It's desperately needed and we really want to try to make it a great success. What about North America? Are there scalable opportunities in North America for, for a fund of this type or for funds of this type? Absolutely. I think there are. And I mean, we've already at Pollination over many years been working on projects in North America, Canada, the US, um, conservation projects. And also the US is quite a leader on, on regenerative agriculture. The US has been very advanced on technology and agriculture. Uh, there are a lot of major players out of the US on, tim on timber investment. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, and the US is the home of some of the world's major conservation groups. So when you bring together all those levels of expertise and that pool of talent, there's a phenomenal opportunity. North America. So what about public-private partnerships? Is that an area, a growth area for you? And if so, how do you manage those in the, the natural capital space? Yes, I think, I think this is a really fascinating question because at one level, you know, we can make investments in natural capital that are just direct investments. But when you're talking about some of the more innovative spaces, working with governments is, is, is very key. So, for example, if a government wanted to restore a coastline and, and put in mangroves up and down the coastline, that's really a blue capital investment project. One of the things that that does is it basically improves the protection of the coastline against storm surges, it brings back sustainable fisheries, it reduces insurance premiums because there's less storm surge. So when you start to add all these things up, you'll often find that in some of those reef restoration projects or coastline restoration projects, they are ones that that governments are very keen to do with the private sector. And then once you start doing that, there's an ability to overlay additional natural capital values, such as carbon um, or biodiversity values that for, for which in jurisdictions like Queensland, Australia, for example, there's an ability to get paid for doing that. So I think, you know, um, in some areas, um, public-private partnerships will be really important, working with governments to solve environmental challenges through applying natural capital principles. So we, you mentioned just now uh, an example of working with a government. We mentioned in the intro that governments are among your uh, consulting clients. Typically, when a government representative or let's just say a government entity approaches you, do they know what kind of a sustainable initiative they want to make? Or do they really come to you asking for brainstorming? Or it's like, tell us what to do. <laughs> like, tell us how to benchmark it. How to, tell us how to make it. How do you work with governments? Yeah, look, it's both. So... Um on the advisory side, Pollination's history has been, we work very closely with governments. We've been working with, um, with for many years, the government of Fiji. We've been working with um, Kenya. We've been working with governments in Australia, the US, 
and, and elsewhere. And I think, you know, there, there are a number of governments that are very sophisticated and they're leading in this space and they understand they're issuing green bonds. They're doing, as you said, public-private partnerships. They have in place carbon pricing schemes. They have in place um, natural capital valuation schemes. They have biodiversity trading schemes. So it very much depends on, on the government that you're dealing with. And I think, you know, in fact, COVID has demonstrated that there are those governments that very much see COVID uh, as a critical pathway to decarbonising the economy, whereas others aren't perhaps as visionary. So on the advisory side, yes, we're working with governments, we're advising them. I think on the investment side, you know, Governments are the holders of significant sums of, of pension funds and sovereign wealth. And so they need to invest that money. And as increasingly you're seeing many of those government sovereign wealth funds uh, being very focused on how to best invest that money in a sustainable manner. And, you know, the Norwegian and Scandinavian funds were leaders in that. Um, but, you know, all around the world now we're seeing that. So I think on both sides of the equation, governments have a really important role to play. Is there a blue ribbon partnership or just a, a, a fantastic case study that you would point to as like, boom, this is, <laughs> this is pollination, this is what we can do for you. Let me tell you about this. Yeah, look, I think one of the really pleasing projects that we did, um, that the pollination team did coming, it was actually pre-pollination but coming in, mm -hmm. was we worked with um, the IFC and BHP on a rainforest bond. Mm -hmm. And in that process, BHP said, look, you know, we all talk about funding nature and how to do that. And, um, you know, it's very difficult to fund a rainforest and get a return. So we spent, um, it was Conservation International, IFC, BHP, and us spent probably the best part of 12 months designing a really innovative product and bond to get institutional investors interested in investing in a rainforest. We put this product together um, and in the end we did get very large institutional investors to invest in that product. And, and what's been so... I guess rewarding about that is that it demonstrated that you could actually find financial instruments to fund nature and that was a couple of years ago and now we've been able to replicate that and in many ways the experience of that has led to to, to what we're doing today because it, it sort of paves the way for this and as John said you know what you couldn't do a few years ago you can do now what you can't do now we believe you'll be able to do in a few years and that includes you know funding and getting an investment return out of what protecting wildlife and biodiversity. Excellent. So you think so just in terms of how quickly this uh, this this field is evolving, you have these investment themes, you know, uh, regenerative agriculture, uh, uh, sustainable forestry, etc. Is there one area that you're seeing such pronounced rapid growth or such rapid evolution that people are going to be surprised at how prevalent it becomes in a very short space of time? Like, is there a sleeper area in natural capital that we would be surprised to know about? Yes, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a slip, but John and I had a good discussion about this. I think from our both collective views, it is probably uh, regenerative agriculture. Okay. I mean, we can we could say you know, it's biodiversity or else, but the truth is, you look at agriculture today. It's a very in different parts of the world, it's managed in different ways, and some it's very corporatized, and some it's still individualized. Mm -hmm. um, but what we're seeing in the agricultural space is a revolution, both in terms of how you farm. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing a lot of um, new sustainable regenerative agricultural techniques becoming very prevalent. Um, we are seeing technology play a fundamental role in the way you approach agriculture, particularly with things like um, how you, uh, you measure soil carbon, for example, soil content, how you understand what's going on in the land. And then I think also the other really significant change in this, and particularly you see this in America, is the movement in the food sector, how you grow food, the energy you use to grow food, and also things like 
changing from you know meat proteins to basically plant-based protein food and that change is significant and I think in the last few years the technological breakthroughs have been remarkable and they'll continue to be. I must say when we are for many people there is resistance to this and one of the challenges that that you need to overcome in the acceleration of this is that resistance to change but I think once people see it in practice and see it happening then the change becomes largely inevitable. Well, you mentioned uh, you mentioned farming technologies, emerging farming technologies, the development of alternative proteins, uh, you know, food chain initiatives. Um, those those all evoke uh, venture capital. I think venture capital, when I think of those things, has been obviously very uh, rapidly evolving areas in the venture capital space. And I understand that pollination also runs a venture capital arm, pollination labs. Can you tell us about that? What's in your pipeline? What's your approach? How do you do that? So, um, so the truth of the matter is we set up a year ago and um, with a very big agenda on advisory investment and uh, we had started to think about our venture capital fund but when HSBC came along our focus shifted to this, um, to, to this joint venture and a lot of our effort during COVID has gone into that. Having said that, we have been throwing a lot around the idea of of, of our, we've got a straw man of our venture capital fund um, and we've been thinking really more so in the food and technology space and how that may play out and um, particularly combining the two. So I think as we go forward, um, that's an area where we can see hopefully a real synergy between the National Capital JV and those venture capital ideas that can ultimately feed into and complement that JV. And also to be quite frank with you, in the context of climate change, provide a little bit of a natural hedge. So that, that, that's the sort of current thinking we have. It's going to evolve. Um, I'd say watch this space and everyone's very, very encouraged to contact us to invest in it once, we're up, once it's up and running. Really, anyone. I mean, will you, seriously, is it uh, you're, you're talking to pension funds? You're talking to fam- are you talking to family offices? Are you talking to... Yeah, so, so what's interesting is that the, um, the interest in our venture capital fund really came from family offices. So mm-hmm. after we set up Pollination, we had a lot of family offices contact us and said, look, the real challenge we're finding is there's nothing to invest in in this space. And, you know, climate change is critical. We want to move our money into the climate change area, but we haven't actually been able to find really good investments. And ironically, even yesterday, someone approached me and said, look, I've got a group of high net worth families who are really interested in getting out of property because of what's happened with COVID and they're looking for alternative investments. If you guys are able to pull some money together, you know, we'd be really interested. So that sort of sentiment, I think, is driving a lot of this opportunity. And I think just more broadly, from a pollination perspective, look, we set a firm up a year ago, um, it's been an exciting time, but I don't think even we would have picked the rapid changes that are happening in the global marketplace and the, and the I guess, the extent to which the global investment community and the global family office community is really driving very hard on, on the whole climate change decarbonisation space. So in many ways, you know, our timing has sort of come at a, at a time when the global economy is moving in that direction. Excellent. Well, if you look back uh, on a successful first year with HSBC pollination, what would have happened during that first year? And what do you think our planet will look like one year in? Well, I think we've said publicly we want to be, you know, we want to be raising this fund and, and deploying it, you know, in the next year. So that's that's a heavy lift. But for reasons that Martin just mentioned, we think it's very achievable. Um, we think this is a right place, right time fund. We think it's the right partnership and the right, you know, the right expertise coming from the from from pollination and from HSBC. Um, so I think that's really our focus is to get this first fund up and running. And then um, we're not going to be resting on our laurels. We've got a second fund that we're that we're targeting that's right behind. And we're beginning to soft sound investors about that one as well. So I think that's the trick. And as Martin said as well, 
one of the things about capital markets is that when they see success, um, you know, success is its best advocate, right? I mean, we, we see fast followers all the time. So success for us is if three or four, five, six, a handful, a dozen funds copy the model, right? And enter the space. We want to see as much private capital moving as quickly as possible into conserving, protecting and investing in nature. Um, so we hope we have lots of uh, people following right behind us. Well, it sounds like the world is your sustainable oyster. That's <laughs> Martin and John, thank you so much for speaking with Investable Universe today. Thanks so much. That's all we got for Investable Universe this week. If you liked what you heard, share the link, check out the site at investableuniverse.com or pitch us for future episodes. The address is editor at investableuniverse.com. My name is Rebecca Darst and you'll hear more from me next time. <laughs>